Hello and welcome to another episode of the Duct Tape Marketing Podcast. This is your host, John Jantz, and my guest today is Cal Newport. He is an assistant professor of computer science at Georgetown University and also the author of So Good They Can't Ignore You, Why Skills Trump Passion and the Quest for Work You Love. So, Cal, thanks for joining me. Thanks, John. I'm happy to be here. So I just kind of sum up uh, what the, the, the premise of the book and let you uh, explain um, um, how, how you came about this. So uh, follow your passion is bad advice. Um, you want to explain uh, a little bit uh, of, uh, and, and correct me if I'm wrong on that being one of the primary premises of the book, uh, but you want to explain uh, uh, kind of uh, your thinking on that because it goes against, obviously, some common wisdom. It is a primary premise of the book. Actually, the foundational premise was I wanted to find out, positively speaking, how people end up loving what they do for a living. So I did what you would expect to do in this situation. I actually found a bunch of people in a variety of different fields who love what they do, and I heard their story. I tried to understand how did they get there, what was the common pattern. And it was in investigating that question that I discovered that the most common piece of advice that especially young people are given, follow your passion, turns out to be a bad piece of advice if your goal is to end up passionate about what you do for a living. Yeah, I think that's really interesting because it is it is one of those things that you hear, and particularly I think is harder for a younger person who really maybe hasn't experienced a lot of what life is about. You think about all these people that go to med school or become engineers because, you know, that's what they, they, they were told that they should do. <laughs> and then they do it for about three weeks and realize that, you know, this isn't what I want to do at all. Um, and, and so I think that that idea of even figuring out what your passion is um, can be difficult. And and I actually had, you know, in reading the book, I, one of my first I think I think as the book goes along, you get deeper and deeper into the you know why this is the case. But one of the the things I wondered if you um, if you gave any thought to was, is that advice follow your passion wrong or are people misinterpreting? In other words, we don't really know what our passion is until we get good at something. Yeah, so I think the 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 disconnect here is that when people hear the advice follow your passion, they interpret it to mean. First, figure out what you're passionate about, and then second, use that passion to choose your job, right, and everything right. will be okay. But when you talk to someone who's farther along in their career and are very passionate about their work, when they say somewhat uh, flippantly, oh yeah, you should follow your passion, what they really mean is you should follow the goal of ending up passionate about what you do. Don't settle for a career that you just model for. You should want to have a career that you're passionate about, but what they leave out is how do people actually end up there? And it turns out that the match, that is the thinking you do before you choose your first job, is really just not that important. In the equation of what leads someone to loving what they do, the initial choice of the job is just not as important as people think it is. Yeah, and that's really interesting. So in, instead of looking for a job, um, take I, I, you could take this absurdly, say take any job and figure out how to love that or figure out what you love about that or what you don't love about it. Yeah, so I mean, you can you can push it to extremes, and it'll fall apart in extremes. But uh, it's pretty easy to bound in. So here's the basic pattern that I observed when I study people who love what they did. I found that there was a few very general traits that tend to lead people to really love their work, and those included, namely, a sense of autonomy about what you do and why you do it, uh, a sense of competency—you're good at what you do and you're respected for it. 
a sense of impact on the world and a sense of connection to people, both inside your business and to clients and other people in your field. Those traits lead people to deep passion for their work. On the other hand, if you think about it, none of those traits are tied to a specific career. And they have very little to do with, oh, I'm meant to do this specific career and I've matched my job to this internal passion. They're way more general than that. So what I tell people is that the goal is not to figure out the one job you're meant to do because that doesn't exist. That's a fairy tale. The goal is to figure out, starting from where you are now, the skills you have now, the opportunities you have now, what's the quickest path between where you are and a career position in which you have autonomy, competence, impact, and a sense of connection. Because that's what gives people long-term passion, not some match to some intrinsic mystical quality that you just have to identify through introspection. You know, what's interesting is I listen to you talk about those qualities, though, you know, to some degree, um, those qualities come about in an organization's culture, um, as well as maybe just in that profession or that industry. I mean, so, so in other words, you could find those things like autonomy, um, and a sense of achievement in one company, per se, in an industry, maybe over another. Yeah. So the interesting thing here is that the, the choice of what you do matters, but not in the way that follow your passion tells us that matters. So you should be very careful when choosing a job opportunity. But what you're being careful about is not, is this what I'm meant to do? Because that's a nonsense question. You're not hardwired for a particular knowledge work career. Instead, what you should ask is, okay, if I follow this path, and let's say I put in the effort to get good at this, you know, I focus on what's valuable. Am I going to be rewarded with more autonomy, a sense of competence, impact, and more connection to people or not? Those are the questions that matter when you're making a choice. And as you said, even within the same industry, different companies can have wildly different cultures. That means this company, I could build up a huge passionate career. This other company in the exact same industry, I'm almost definitely going to be unhappy. So the choice of what you do matters, but not because of the match to the work and some intrinsic trait, but because of its potential to get you towards those general traits that matter. Um, Generally speaking, no, actually, largely speaking, I should say, the book has been received extremely well. Um, I always love to throw a little bit of criticism um, that that I pick up just to see, you know, your take on that. So I read, uh, this actually comes from a review. The book can be summed up in one sentence. Get an Ivy League degree, use those connections, work more hours than everyone else, and wait for luck to strike. Have they missed the point? Uh, I think they have missed the point. Yeah, uh, people get, I mean, this, this is pretty common. If, if For anyone who writes, you, you often are going to get criticism that seems to be more about you yeah. <laughs> than your book. So they say, well, here's someone with an Ivy League degree. Right, and right. and uh, but, but I think that completely you know, misses the point. If you look in my book, the case studies I have are from all sorts of different industries and people from all sorts of different backgrounds, um, from farmers and professional musicians to computer programmers and doctors. So it's, it's not about... I have this particular degree and that's all that matters. What does matter, what seems to be consistent is as you get good at what you do, tangibly good, you have value that the marketplace recognizes and will pay money for. When you get those tangible skills, you gain control over your career and are able to steer it towards those traits I talked about, like autonomy, competence, impact, and connections. So the reason my book is titled So Good They Can't Ignore You which is a a quote from Steve Martin, his advice to how to succeed in the entertainment industry, is that 
this whole theory reduces down to step one, until you become good at something, you can't expect a good job. Yeah. Well, and, and I, you know, we were talking about passion and you could say maybe joy. Um, you know, I think a lot of people can relate to the fact that once you actually get good at something, it's typically more enjoyable as, as well. I mean, the, the, the thing most people can, really, I'm not a golfer, but I, you know, I know that I've gone out and played golf a time or two and I don't enjoy it at all, <laughs> but that's partly because I'm just not good at it. Um, and, and I think the same so, to, to some degree can be said um, uh, about this idea of getting really good at something. Yeah, there's two benefits to getting really good at something, which is what makes it crucial. The first is a direct benefit in that competency is one of those key traits that leads people to love their work. So just the feeling, as you mentioned, of being good at something we know from decades of psychological research makes people motivated. It makes people satisfied. But then there's this secondary benefit to being good at something, which is that then you have leverage. So if you see someone, for example, that has a, a huge amount of autonomy often the leverage they had that allowed them to get that autonomy is that they're good at something that the market values. If you are a world-class database developer like uh, Lulu, someone I I profiled in my book, then you can do what she does, which is work four months, take four months off, work four months. That's an incredibly autonomous career. She gets away with it because she's an incredible database developer and programmer and she can write her own ticket. So becoming good is the elixir, essentially, to loving what you do because you get the direct benefit from it and you get the control that lets you get the other benefits. So uh, obviously the the next question people should be thinking about was how do I get really good at something? How do I develop this skill? I mean, is it is it as simple as the uh, Anders Ericsson, you know, 10,000 hours that everybody quotes? Uh, in some sense it is, except for that count is much lower. So uh, something I, I, I noticed when studying how knowledge workers get good is that they use the same type of deliberate practice that you see in the study of performance psychologists like Anders Ericsson and has popularized in Malcolm Gladwell's recent book. That is, they deliberately push themselves, they deliberately stretch their skills past where they're comfortable. But the good news is that if you're in a knowledge work field, you're not a chess player, you're not a musician, you're not an athlete. There is not a sort of formal competitive structure and formal training philosophy. So while it might take 10,000 hours of deliberate practice to become a grandmaster at chess, if you're working in consulting in a particular field, if you do just 100 hours of deliberate practice, that's already way more than almost anyone else in your field who are probably doing zero hours, and you'll already get benefits. So deliberate practice uh, is a much more easy-to-apply concept when you're in a field like knowledge work where almost no one is doing it. Well, so you've used the term um, deliberate practice, and I know in the book you talk about working deeper. You want to explain maybe how deliberate practice is different than simply slugging the time in? Yeah, time spent on work is is somewhat irrelevant to how good you get. There's, there's very busy people who are not at all valuable to the world, and there's people who have massive amounts of free time who are massively valuable to the world. So what matters is what you actually do with that time. So deliberate practice is the Anders Ericsson term for a very particular type of work that in almost any complex field is crucial for getting better. And the key defining traits of deliberate practice is that you are pushing yourself beyond the point in which you're comfortable. It's a strain. Your mind actually feels a strain. It's uncomfortable just like a muscle is when you lift a weight that's a little heavier than you can handle. 
uh, to do deliberate practice properly, you have to persist through that strain, try to maintain your focus uh, and stretch yourself, and then give yourself harsh feedback when you're done about did this really work, is this really valuable. It's not a comfortable type of work. Knowledge workers do anything they can typically to avoid it. They'll quickly go to email or Facebook or Twitter as soon as they feel that strain. But the good news is, if you're one of the few knowledge workers who's able to consistently train yourself that way, you can pick up very valuable skills very quickly. And as I said, that's the currency to lead in your career somewhere you love. Well, and you know what's interesting about that is you use the word strain. And of course, um, most people, when they talk about this idea of following your passion or doing what you love, they talk about these moments of flow, right? You know, where everything is just not the opposite of strain, so to speak. And, and I'm guessing you're suggesting that that may be a mistake. Yeah, flow by itself is not going to make you better. Uh, Anders Ericsson himself has written this in his literature. He's talking about the theory of flow and saying deliberate practice is very different than flow. Flow is a state of effortlessness where your skills are firing on all cylinders and you're applying stuff you already know how to do at a high level and effortlessly. That feels good, but it doesn't make you better. So uh, a big uh, worry for knowledge work if you're trying to improve your skills is that as soon as you get a little bit of ability, it's very tempting to just seek flow. To seek things where you can just apply your skills and feel good and feel smart about it. But if you do that, you're going to hit what Erickson calls a plateau, a performance plateau. And you can do the same flowing activities for 10, 15, 20 years and never get any better. While the guy two offices down, who's instead pushing himself consistently to a point of strain, is going to skyrocket past you in his skill ability. Yeah, it's really hard to grow unless you're stepping outside of your comfort level, isn't it? Yeah. So you, I'm, I'm guessing, um, get asked to speak to a lot of college students um, in your in your role as a uh, you know along you know in, in higher ed. I, I'm assuming you naturally speak to a lot of college students, but I'm guessing you've also taken this message to college campuses. How how has the 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 kind of recent grad um, taken this message? They seem to be actually quite receptive to it. So my generation, Generation Y, was the first generation to actually be raised with the advice, follow your passion. This is seems like a timeless piece of advice, but it didn't really enter the career advice vernacular till the 1980s. So we're the first generation to be raised with it. And as we leave college and enter the working world, uh, my generation is experiencing quite a bit of frustration because they've been told all that matters is finding the right match. And if you do, you'll love your job from day one. Now, of course, this is not the reality of how people end up loving their jobs. So they're out there feeling frustrated and lost and confused, thinking maybe I chose the wrong job. This must not be the right job. I don't love it from day one. So my, the reaction I've been getting most consistently from college students is relief. Yeah. Okay, it's not about this great intro, act of introspection that's going to the you're going to figure out your whole career tomorrow. Well, yeah, because that comes with a ton of pressure too. Like, what if I get the answer wrong? Yeah, yeah, and it paralyzes people. <laughs> it does. Yeah. yeah, completely paralyzes them. And this notion that that doesn't matter, what you do is going to be much less important than how you work, really takes a lot of pressure off. Even though the flip side is you're going to have to work harder than you thought you needed to. I'll tell you another thing because I have uh, um, actually kids in that age group. Another thing I see a lot of them um, gravitating towards is rather than what is this company going to do for me, it's what am I going to offer maybe this company or the world? 
Yeah. yeah. I think that's, that's one of the crucial mindset shifts. The passion mindset, which I'm against, says, what does this company offer me? Right. What I call the craftsman mindset is just what you said, asking yourself, well, what value can I offer the world? Because until I have value, I'm not going to have leverage. And if you're 21 years old and have just graduated college, your answer to the question, what value can I offer the world, is basically nothing. And once you recognize that, you can really get yourself in the gear and say, man, i got to build some skills fast. And that's exactly the mindset you need in the first three, four, five years out of college. Yeah. Um, the, another piece of a very common advice, I think, for people you know, getting into the work world was, was to really seek out a mentor uh, to, to help them kind of you know, navigate maybe how they should uh, uh, build their career. Does that... Does that advice still feel relevant inside of this? I think it's, if anything, more relevant because if getting good at what you do in a very tangible way is the foundation of a career that you love, then anything that's going to help you get better, faster, and more efficiently is incredibly valuable. And I see there's this big split in almost any field. There's this big split between people who are invested in understanding how people actually get good in their field, you know, talking to or being mentored by real stars in your field and understanding the real hard truth about what's necessary to get good. There's those people who are able to leap ahead and build these passionate careers. And then there's this other group of ambitious people. They're looking for the quick fix. They're looking for the life hack or the, mm -hmm. if I could just get this right tip uh, that someone else didn't think about, I'm going to immediately jump ahead. The, the advice that's kind of hard, but not too hard to actually put into place. And, and they're very organized. And they probably go to the gym a lot and, and, and you know, know a lot of life hacks and read a lot of self-help books. But it's the people who instead say, what's the hard truth about how the best people in my field became the best? Those are the people that end up actually leaping ahead and building these remarkable careers. Well, cer certainly from a long-term <laughs> point of view, you're, you know, you're, you're building assets uh, that uh, are not here today, gone tomorrow. Um, where else can people uh, – obviously, the book can be purchased uh, anywhere that uh, people find books. But uh, do you have a – is there a specific site for the book or any other resources that people can uh, acquire if they want to find more? Yeah, calnewport.com. That's the information about my books, and then it also has my blog where I, I talk quite a bit about these type of ideas. Right. Well, Cal, thanks so much for joining me. Um, I, I assume you're calling in today from somewhere in D.C., or are you on, are you on uh, a break for the holidays? Uh, that's right. I'm right outside D.C. Yeah. All right. Well, thanks so much for joining us, and uh, uh, great, great book, and uh, hopefully we'll run into you out there on the road. Great. Thank you, John. This episode is brought to you by the Yap Media Podcast Network. I'm Hala Taha, CEO of the award-winning digital media empire, Yap Media, and host of Yap Young and Profiting Podcast, a number one entrepreneurship and self-improvement podcast where you can listen, learn, and profit. On Young and Profiting Podcast, I interview the brightest minds in the world, and I turn their wisdom into actionable advice that you can use in your daily life. Each week, we dive into a new topic like the art of side hustles, how to level up your influence and persuasion, and goal setting. I interview A-list guests on Young and Profiting. I've got the best guests, like the world's number one negotiation expert, Chris Voss, Shark, Damon John, serial entrepreneurs, Alex and Layla Hermosi, and even movie stars like Matthew McConaughey. There's absolutely no fluff on my podcast, and that's on purpose. Every episode is jam-packed with advice that's gonna push your life forward. I do my research, I get straight to the point, 
and I take things really seriously, which is why I'm known as the podcast princess and how I became one of the top podcasters in the world in less than five years. Young and Profiting Podcast is for all ages. Don't let the name fool you. It's an advanced show. As long as you want to learn and level up, you will be forever young. So join Podcast Royalty and subscribe to Young and Profiting Podcast or Yap, like it's often called by my Yap fam on Apple, Spotify, CastBox or wherever you listen to your podcasts.